0: I believe it was G.H. Morrison who once made the statement that God rarely allows his servants to know the good they are doing. And uh, even in our work, we, we may see some fruit and we rejoice in the fruit that the Lord allows us to see. But I think when we get to heaven, you may realize there's fruit that you never even realized. Uh, and the things that God did through your life and the lives that he touched I do say thank you for giving to the Lord, and uh, here at Charity Baptist, and you, you're giving. I know you have faithfully supported us, and supported us in a very extremely faithful and generous way, but I know it's not just for us. You do it for so many, and uh, you have no idea uh, of the lives that you have touched, and uh, when we get to heaven, you you'll get to meet some of those, but... I want to thank you. I mentioned last night I appreciate this church. We have a lot of churches that support us and uh, some we get checks from every month. They're very faithful to send their support in. And then there are those who invest in what we are doing and then there are some that really get involved in what we are doing. And uh, you have been one of those churches and I cannot thank you enough for all that you have done and uh, the coats that you have sent of hundreds of little Lakota children uh, had new coats in the winter because of you and boots and uh, so many things. Uh, Our PA system, we have that and such a help to us and uh, Miss Greg this week. If I have a question, I just called Greg and he always has the answer. He usually answers before I even get the question asked. I say, Greg, I got this problem, and he'll always answer. I've missed him this week. But you, uh, I, I can't even begin to uh, list them all. And when I list things, then I'll go be, be going down the road and it'll hit me. I missed this that you did for us. So let me just throw a great blanket over everything you've done and say thank you and know from the bottom of our heart that we really, really appreciate Charity Baptist Church. I absolutely love you, Pastor, always have. And uh, love you as people, not just appreciate you as a church, but <clears throat> enjoy the few moments that I can spend with you and how I've got to know you and the teams that have come out. Pastors mentioned praying about bringing the teams out. <clears throat> we'll start. <clears throat> I'm still growing. And... uh So, uh, uh, we're getting ready to start Christmas, and uh, in fact, November, the first of November, we'll start getting ready for December. We spend all of November getting ready for December, and then the first Monday in December, we'll start for three weeks, and it'll be nonstop leading right up to uh, Christmas Eve, and uh, the first two weeks, you that have been there, you know what it's like And we bring the families in one after another and take them through the Christmas room and different things. And in that third week, we convert uh, the heaven train bus into the toy bus that we go into the communities. We haven't got to run the bus in the last two years. COVID knocked us out for one year and then a snowstorm knocked us out last year. And so we were not able to get out that final week. And uh, but. Uh, Pastor mentioned that some of you are praying, and I would like to encourage you, if you've never come, we we would certainly love to have you, and uh, it's been a hot summer, hadn't it? You, Everybody here, everybody complain about how hot it is. Well, you need to come to South Dakota, and uh, we'll cure that very, very fast. Uh, it's, it's supposed to be 28 tonight in South Dakota, so... Uh, it's. I mean, it's. We're winners right on us, and it'll be here before we know it. But <clears throat> I promise you, you that have been there, uh, if you could come out and, and, and work a week during Christmas, it's a Monday through a Thursday. It'll put memories in your heart you'll never forget, and uh, you'll because you'll be dealing with them one by one and taking them through uh, the toy room and the Christmas room. Uh, we we make sure the Lakota families. Have a good Christmas, and they do get a good Christmas when they come through our place far more than they get anywhere else. And but as you know, that have been there, we have to have help to do what we do. And so, uh, pastors mentioned it, and I hope you'll pray about coming. We would be honored to have you. We're thankful for the dorm. I think uh, you guys stayed in the dorm last year, so we got a good place for everybody to stay now. You don't have to drive twenty twenty five miles away uh, to stay anywhere, so you got a great place to stay and uh, we 'd love to have you come out and uh, have and work one of those weeks. We have a team coming from Siler City, North Carolina, that'll be there the first week, and then we have the two weeks. I think you uh, pastor here is going to try to fill those with two couple of teams at least one week, so you pray about coming, but again thank you for everything. We appreciate all that you do. You are a part of every life that is touched. As I mentioned last night, pray for Sherry. Uh, you that you that know Sherry, you know she's, she gives everything to what she does and uh, she's got to have this knee surgery and uh, so we go Tuesday to the doctor and I hope he can get that done because it'll be snowing soon and uh, I've got to get her out there shoveling snow. So you, you remember Sherry, and uh, but uh, pray for her. She, she's dreading that, and what she's not just dreading the consequences of having the surgery, uh, but the fact that it's going to put her down for a few weeks. Uh, that's hurting her more than anything. So, uh, but lift her up in prayer. And uh, many of you have met her and you know her. She's just an easy person to love. <clears throat> and uh, was in Louisville, Kentucky, several years ago, and I preached four or five years in a row for Brother Elza Lamb. He's with the Lord now. Miss Lamb, she she just went home to be with the Lord about six months ago. But she had never met my wife, and uh, so we went out to eat one night, and uh, we got talking. And, and Brother Elza said, "How's How's Miss Trivet doing?" I said, "I said you remember how her left eye." that glass eye would always turn around sideways, it'd never stay in place, and I said, she got her a new eye, and I said, it changed her whole looks, and and Miss Lamb just sitting there looking, and, and we went on, I just mentioned all kinds of things, and uh, finally Miss Lamb said, your wife's had a hard time, hadn't she, and I said, you have no idea, amen, but pray for her, and lift her up in prayer, uh, she is my joy in this life, so But we thank you again for everything. I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 4. And there's one verse of scripture that I want us to look at. I open my Bible and read it. Uh, For you history buffs, it was on this day, October the 6th, in 1536, that William Tyndale was tied to the stake. A rope was put around his neck and it was suddenly tightened upon him to strangle him, and gunpowder put upon the wood which they would ignite and burn his body. It's on this day, uh, many, many years ago, 1536. His crime was this. He translated the scriptures into the English Bible and he said, I want to see to it that even a plowboy. Can read the Bible, and uh, even a plowboy can read and understand the Bible. And I do not take it lightly just reading the Bible or sharing from it when I realize the cost that people have given and the price that has been paid by those that we might have a Bible. I sat down some this afternoon for a few minutes and just held my Bible and thank God for it that I have the Word of God. And I have a Bible, thinking of the cost that was involved in you and I having a Bible. And how we ought to thank God for our Bibles. Let's stand as we honor the reading of His Word. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, a very familiar verse. But I want us to look at it tonight and I want to just point out a few things that I want to call the heart and soul of missions. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We all know this verse. Again, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to pray and then we'll look at what again and what I want to call and refer to as the heart and the soul of missions. And Father, we come today, first of all, to thank you for your precious word. We thank you for the sacrifice that others made that we might have a copy of your word. And so we cherish it today, and and with great appreciation and humiliation we open your word this very day we thank you for charity baptist church we come with gratitude for this place this pastor these people what a play what a part they have played in our lives not just our lives but the Lakota people we could never thank you enough for how they have ministered to us and how they have ministered to the people in various ways not one or two Much more than just sending a monthly check. But they have ministered to us and helped us and served in so many ways. I pray your blessings upon them for it. And I know one of the reasons they are blessed and have the kind of church they have tonight is because of the things they do for others and especially in missions. So bless them tonight. Take these few moments and bless them and open our heart to understand and to see. And then prepare our hearts for the message that will follow. with Brother Thrift, and we pray you'll touch him. But thank you again for your goodness and your grace. For it is in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Now when I make mention of the heart and the soul of missions... And read the scripture a moment ago. I'm sure possibly it crossed your mind. What does that verse have to say about missions? And I understand that Acts 4.12 does not say one thing about missions. It is true that it doesn't speak directly to missions. Or say anything about missions. But yet everything about missions... Is found in his 23 words. You could say that what you have in Acts 4.12. It contains the very heart and the soul of missions. I want to look at the statement tonight. The verse tonight. And and I want to build our thoughts around one word that is found in the verse. In Acts 4.12 you'll notice the word must In the final statement of the verse, whereby we must be saved. That word must there simply defines, it describes, and it declares a great need. That is at the very heart and soul of missions. This need, this must that we find in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12... It speaks again of what missions is all about. And it speaks and gives us the very heart of missions. Why you have a missions conference. Why you have faith promise. It speaks to the very soul of everything that you do that is mission related. You say, what are you speaking of? Well, let's walk through it in a very, very simple way. I want you to notice this need. He talked about a must, a need, an absolute necessity that is being described. For one thing, I draw your attention to the need that is stated here. It's very plain, the need in that one statement, whereby men must be saved. It's a need that is very plainly, clearly stated, we must be saved. John chapter 3, you're familiar with it in verse 7, where the Bible said, ye must be born again. So it's a talking of, it's speaking of a need. There's a need that is plainly, clearly stated here. We must be saved. Look a little closer at the statement. For one thing, you see the nature of our salvation. The nature of salvation. He's talking about a need here. And that need is that we must be saved. You note the word saved there. I like the word saved. We don't hear it as much as we used to. But I like the word saved. I just like saying I'm glad I'm saved. I like being born again and all that. But I just like being able to say I have been saved. The word saved here... It speaks to how every one of us in this room tonight has a problem. And that problem is a sin problem. However, we have been saved. And the word itself literally means to be delivered. When you talk about being saved, you're talking about being delivered. And what is it that you are delivered from? When you say, I have been saved, God saved me, what you're saying is, God delivered me. What is it that He delivered you from? He delivered you from one thing, from sin's power. Paul said in Colossians 1.13 that we've been delivered from the power of darkness. There is that power, that grip that sin had upon us. We've been delivered from sin's power. To say that we have been saved also indicates that we've been delivered from sin's penalty. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, He hath delivered us from the wrath to come. The very nature that what salvation is all about is that every one of us was under sin's penalty. We were in the grip of sin's power. But when he saved us, he delivered us from that power and he delivered us from that penalty. To talk about being saved is to say that I have been delivered. I was reading one time about Mordecai Ham. He was preaching in Gonzales, Texas. And he was preaching on the subject, Christ, our refuge. In that meeting was a man that had killed Four men, And he sat there and listened as Ham explained that Christ is a refuge of sinners. And how that he's a refuge for sinners of every kind and every stripe. A hope and haven and eternal forgiveness for anyone that would flee to him. About halfway through that message this man jumped up and he began to shout, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. There was a man there in the service by the name of Jack Schofield. And he was so moved by what happened in that service that the next day, sitting outside of his motel, he gave us that hymn, Saved, Saved. And he wrote the word saved by his power divine. Saved to a new life sublime. Life now is sweet, my joy is complete, for I am saved, saved, saved. You see, we must be saved. And when we talk about being saved, we're talking about being delivered from the power and the penalty of sin. But you also see the need of salvation. Not just its nature, what we mean by being saved, but the very need itself. For he says, we must be saved. Here's a, he's in the word must there is very emphatic. You absolutely must be saved. You see, there is a hell to escape and there's a heaven to enter. And in order to escape hell and enter to heaven, one must be saved. There's no other way. To get into heaven. There's no other way to escape hell. This is an absolute necessity. Say, I want to go to heaven when I die. Then you must be saved. You say, I don't want to go to hell when I die. Then you must be saved. This is the need of salvation. But when you think about this need that is stated here. That we must be saved. It reminds every one of us that are sitting in this room tonight that are saved, that men and women are lost without God. You see, we tend to look at people and put them in classes. For the Wilson that was here, we were talking about the caste system in India. It fascinates me, the system they have. He referred to being what he would call or what he would be called in India as an un. Touchable, the very bottom rung of the class or caste that they have there. We often look at people in various various ways. We'll look at them from a political viewpoint. We'll see someone as a conservative or we'll see someone as a liberal. We might look at them from a social perspective. We might see someone as poor and we might see someone as rich. We may even look at them from a racial perspective. We see the color of their skin, black or white or red, but we see them from a social perspective. And what, many times we see someone's sin, but in the process we fail to see the sinner. And when he talks about we must be saved, it is a reminder that all men are lost without God. And when we look at this world around us, we must see people that are lost. Do you see an old drunk? Or do you see somebody that'll die in their sins and go to hell? Do you see a drug addict and you criticize and think, oh, they're sorry and all that? Do you see the drug addict? Or do you actually look at them and see someone that is dying and going to hell? Sitting in the airport the other day and I was just sitting watching people. And there came that overwhelming sense over me. That here is somebody. And I looked at hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And I was just gripped by the fact that that person and that person and that person and that person is either saved or they are lost. Talk about missions. It is seeing people that are lost. It is seeing your neighbor more than someone that is aggravating to live next door. Someone that will die in their sins and go to hell unless they've been saved. This need that is stated here reminds us that we need to see people who are lost. But then look at something else. The need is stated we must be saved. Again, reminding us how to look upon those around us and see them as people that are either saved or lost. But the need also is supplied. He states the need here, men must be saved. But then he describes in Acts 4.12 how that need has been supplied whereby men could be saved. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name given among under heaven, whereby given among men, whereby we must be saved. He's telling us that God has supplied the means whereby that all could be saved. You'll notice in verse ten he talks about a redeeming Savior. He talks about it in the message in Peter preached, he's talked about by the name of Jesus Christ and Nazareth, Nazareth whom ye crucified. He speaks of Him as a redeeming Savior. He also speaks of Him as a resurrection, resurrected Savior whom God raised from the dead. And thank God He is alive. But He's speaking how God has provided the need whereby men, men must be saved. But yet God has supplied the need for man that is lost whereby he could be saved. It reminds us not only do we need to see people as lost, but we also need to understand and realize how we need to tell people that Christ has died so they would not die in their sins. That is what the gospel is all about, it's what missions is all about. It is telling others about Christ, it is that men, all men, are lost. I don't care who you meet. They'll go to heaven or hell. And here we have the great responsibility of telling them how they can be saved. They must be saved. But we have the responsibility of telling them how they can be saved. It's the very heart and soul of what missions is all about. There's a gospel that we share with our lips. We tell others. We let others know that Christ has died for them. We tell them they can be saved. That is our responsibility. If men are lost, would you not agree with me that they need to know they don't have to die and go to hell? Would you not agree with me that it's a great responsibility of ours to tell them that Christ has supplied the need whereby they could be saved? And we are to tell them to get the gospel out, to speak to our neighbors, to speak to our friends... To speak to our loved ones, to tell them there is the gospel we must share with our lips, we must tell. But there is the gospel that we must show in our lives as well. Say it doesn't matter how we live. Oh, it does matter how we live. You've heard the old saying, what you are speaks so loudly I can't hear what you say. Our life is to be a very reflection of the very one we speak about. And how we live, how we act, and how we behave is so critical and being an example to a lost world around us. When I was a young preacher starting out, one of my spiritual heroes was Jack Hudson in Charlotte, North Carolina at Northside Baptist Church. And as a young pastor, I would drive to Charlotte and sit down with Dr. Hudson and I would ask him all kinds of things. And I asked him a question one day. I said, Dr. Hudson, I said, you have met many great men of God in your life. You've known many great men of God. And I said, what is the one thing you found to be true about every one of them? I did not expect the answer that I got from him that day. In fact, I learned that I never got the answer that I thought I would get when I asked Dr. Hudson a question. But I said, you've been around many great men of God. And what is the one common thing that you have found in all these great men of God you have known? And without a moment's hesitation, he said, they were all gentlemen. That's not what I expected. I thought he would say they all spent eight hours every night praying. And they spent another 30 hours reading their... I expected all these answers. But what he was saying to me is that there is something about the life of those who they live and the men of God, the life they live and the life of a believer ought to live that says something about who we are and verifies what we say. That how we act and how we behave, we either hurt or hinder the gospel. You see, he said... The need has been supplied. And they're reminding us not only should we see people as being lost, but we also should see the need of telling them how they can be saved. If all men must be saved, then they need to know how they can be saved. And that's what the gospel is all about. But last and thirdly, there is what I simply would call the need that is suggested. And again, I go back. It says nothing about missions. But the very heart and soul of missions is found in every word. It's telling us there's a need for people to be saved. And that Christ has died for them. And that there's the need to let the world know that Christ has died for them so they could be saved. So that is a need not only stated and a need not only supplied, but it's a need that suggests two simple little things. That is the heart and the soul of missions. Number one, somebody must go. That's not profound, but that is the heart and soul of missions. Somebody has to go. People are lost. They're not going to end up in purgatory. They'll go to hell if they don't get saved. I mean, men and women are lost without God. I don't care how they live. I don't care who they are. The bottom line is, if they do not know Christ, they will die in their sins and spend eternity in hell. They need to know that Christ has given His life that they might be saved. Therefore, somebody has to go and tell them. That's what missions is all about. But the Wilson that was here last night in India, my place where God has put me is on an Indian reservation in South Dakota. And their mission feels represented by every one of these flags here tonight. Every country represented. The country is made up of people that are lost, that need to know that Christ died for them. Somebody has to go and tell them. The question is, who will go? I'm thankful that God put me on the reservation. And living on the reservation, uh, being in the poorest county in the United States, and living, if you were to research Pine Ridge, you're, you're going to come up with all the negative things that are publicized about it. It irritates me sometimes because you always find the negative things. You don't see the positive things, such as the people themselves. They're great people. They are wonderful people. But if you Google Pine Ridge, you're going to get all these alcohol statistics. Uh, you're going to get all, and meth seems to be the thing that's destroying our people now. And you come up with a poverty. And I live in it day in and day out, and I see these things. And the easiest thing for me to do, living among all of it, is to become numb to it all. Being there every day, seeing it every waking day of my life, seeing all the poverty, seeing all the situations, and seeing all the conditions. It is easy to get used to it. It is easy to get numb to it. But I, my prayer is that God don't let me get used to where I'm at. Don't let me just get called up in the need that exists here or the poverty that is here or the problems that are here or the conditions that are here. Lord, don't let me lose sight. These people need to know about you. Remember old Sam. Some of you met Sam. You probably wouldn't remember very quite. And I visit on Saturday. That's why I always fly back on Friday and don't stay longer. I don't let anything interfere with my Saturday when I visit. I visit the homes. Brother Mark has been with me. I I don't know if Brother Kevin has or some others have. But I always go out on Saturday. Spend hours out on Saturday. I don't care if it's raining, snowing. I don't care how cold it is. I do that. I've done that for going on almost 11 years now. I remember one day I come to a little old trailer. And I walked up to knock on the door. About the time I knocked on the door, I noticed over here in the weeds a man laying over there. And I thought he's dead. And I, I stepped off the porch and headed toward the grass where he was laying out. And Sam, I didn't know who he was at the time. And I, when I first got there, I thought he was dead. I really did. And then I realized that he was just passed out drunk. I can't tell you. I, I stood there, looked at him, and I went back to the trailer that I was visiting. I said, Who is that? And he told me who it was, and I said, where does he live? And he told me, and I walked back over there and looked at him, and I said, God help me to get this man to Christ. I said, Lord, please help me to win this man to the Lord. I went by his home. He lived over in what we call the Fraggle Rock section. And I went over there for three years Saturday after Saturday after Saturday after Saturday after Saturday after Saturday for three years I went by Sam's house. I said, Sam, I'd love for you to come to church tomorrow. Three years I went after that man. One Sunday he come out and got on the bus. Oh, Sam got saved. If you were to Pull up today. And I pull the old bus. He's usually my second stop if I'm running Pine Ridge first. I rotate from Pine Ridge and Wounded Knee each week to give them a little less time on the bus. If I'm running Pine Ridge first, I'll pull in his house my second stop. The minute I pull in, I usually don't even have to toot the horn. Sam comes out the door with that big old Bible under his arm. And I watch him come up. And there are times I I look back and I remember when I found him lying in the weeds there and thought he was dead. And I see him come out with that Bible. Sometimes I just want to park that bus and stop down about four acres of good corn. I mean to see him come into church and say, that's what it's all about, reaching people. But somebody must go. Somebody has to go here in this community. Oh, we want to reach Pontotope. Somebody's got to go. Why we want to reach this field? Somebody's got to go. That's the very heart and soul of missions. People are lost. Christ died for them. Somebody must go and tell them that he died. Somebody must go. Somebody must give. That's the heart and soul of missions. I know... Preachers, missionaries, everybody. That's all these missionaries talk about is money. And I know it seems that way. And that's not our purpose. I heard somebody refer to missionaries as moochinaries. Well, I mean, I, uh, if somebody ever said that to me, I believe he would honor God if I just slapped the living daylights out of him, wouldn't it, you? I believe he'd bless me for it. I believe He'd anoint me with a sack of blessing if I did that. But I know it appears that way sometimes. But that's not what it's about. It's not. But we have to have money to go. My wife and I could not live on an Indian reservation if somebody didn't give. We couldn't go. We couldn't keep the lights on our buildings if somebody didn't give. I couldn't fill up that bus and that van and go out and pick people up if somebody didn't give. We couldn't feed all of those families Sunday after Sunday after Sunday if somebody didn't give. We couldn't do the things that we do if somebody didn't give. The very heart and soul of missions is people are lost. They need to know about the Savior. Somebody has to go. Somebody has to give in order for those who are going to go. I mentioned last night, giving your hard-earned money. Hard-earned money, Especially right now, gas is high. We all shouted about it coming down about fifty cent, going back up again. I mean, everything's high. You think it's high here? Come out west. I mean, they we got a they got to haul it so far. boy. They add fuel mileage and everything onto our eggs. You get them cheap here compared to us. And but everything, I realize it is. And why would you take money that you need so bad? To take care of your family. When you're struggling to take care of your family as it is. Why would you give money to missions. When you need it so bad. I'll tell you why we give. We give so somebody won't go to hell. We give so somebody can go. And tell them about the one who gave his life on Calvary for them. That is the very heart and soul. Men must be saved. Christ has died that they could be saved. Therefore, we must go. We must give in order that they could hear about the Savior. Again, that is what mission's all about. Simple as it is. Spin it any way you want to. That's what it all boils down to. The heart and the soul of missions. Father, you take your word and remind us. That salvation in Christ has been provided through His death whereby men that must be saved could be saved. Therefore, we must go that they hear. We must give that others can go that others that need to be saved will hear how to be saved. Bless now the rest of this service.